Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast that explores the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This week we're doing issue 9 of The Spectre, published on the 21st of January 1969. The Spectre, the only member of the JSA to get an ongoing book in the Silver Age. Fantastic. Pete Sage, do you want to tell everyone about the cover? I would be delighted. At the top of the cover we have some text that says, None shall escape the wrath of the Spectre. And a lovely dramatic Spectre logo. It's huge, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's like the top third of the cover, but it goes up slanty. Yeah, I think it's like, as you said about issue eight, it takes up a massive, huge amount Mm -hmm. of space on the cover. You couldn't miss it. And underneath that, we have the Spectre. And he's got his cape up at his face, almost like the Shadow or Batman, you know. Mm. And he's reaching out with a giant white hand, a giant white wrinkly hand from the looks of it. And he's reaching towards a giant book Mm. that dozens of people are scrambling over. The book is entitled Journal of Judgment, and we can see it's a like a leather-bound large book with a gold or brass lock on it. Interesting. Yeah. A couple of things that strike me about this cover. Mm-hmm. First of all, Spectre's not wearing his gloves. He's not. That's why we can see his wrinkly hands. Yeah, and I like the how either the logo or the Spectre have been drawn around the other. Yes, uh-huh. They sort of fit in very neatly. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice square thumbnail of someone's profile picture somewhere. <laughs> Who drew this one cover, Pete, say, because I forgot to look it up? It is Nick Cardi. Yes. So ah, that's why it looks so good. Gosh. Do you like a bit of Cardi? Mm. My copy of issue nine has a massive... Thorpe and Porter price stamp right in the, the Spectre's noggin, <laughs> which is quite funny. So look out for that on Instagram, listeners. Indeed. So, he's got this book lying open, and it's face down. That's mm-hmm. going to really damage the spine. Well, yeah, so will all those people running over it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and we should talk about the people, because they look as if they're from different periods in history. Yeah. Some of them with very odd outfits. There's a clown. There's a guy in a suit and tie, as you see. There's a guy who looks like a clown. A guy with a funny hat. A guy with a funny beard. It's almost like they're screaming in terror and trying to run away from the spectre. Mm. As if maybe they're trying to escape his judgment. It's Gosh. a very interesting cover. Yes, what could this possibly mean? None shall escape the wrath of the spectre. Gosh. What does it mean, PC? It means a top to tail reboot of the entire comic. That's what it means. Again? <laughs> yes. As the listeners will find out as we dive straight in. So the first panel on page one, it's a very odd looking landscape. Weird, distorted trees and very mountainous looking landscape and in the distance it looks like a figure coming over the crest of a rocky hill and there's a caption for this first panel and it says wisping fog clouds the eyes the molding smell of moss reels the senses panel two it's another landscape shot and we see the figure coming into focus we can see well we can tell it's the spectre and a caption says these are the mystic moors an eerie realm all but unknown to human experience the mystic moors mm. The final very large panel of this opening page is a closer shot of the spectre walking through the landscape, basically from the chest down. And we can see that he's holding a massive book in his hand. Hmm, I wonder if it's the Journal of Judgment. A caption says, From within the swirling mist trods a downcast ghostly figure. The sight of the silent sombre spirit would chill the flesh of mortals. But wait! And we turn the page and... He stops, and trembling with unbridled emotion, vents his angry frustrations on the unanswering skies. And we see the spectre with his cape billowing out behind him, 
stretching it to fill both page two and page three. The rest of the story takes place over this double page spread, and the spectre indeed is bellowing, saying, Why? Why must I be chained to this cursed book? And we see the spectre logo sort of stretched out amongst the, the cape that's furling over the two pages, but the caption continues. Why, spectre, remember? Remember how you were once again brought before the creator of your existence? Remember how you stood transfixed as his words thundered around you? And the first panel that we see here has a slight ripple to it, and we see the spectre standing at the foot of the stairs that we saw in issue 8 when he was pulled up for overdoing it. You can see he's standing at the bottom of this flight of stairs, there's a little archway, there's a harp floating around, there's a golden gate, and a loud booming voice says, You have failed, spectre! And the next drawing is doing that Jerry Grandinetti thing where the story sort of moves fluidly through one larger image mm-hmm. instead of using separate panels. Because the next shot we see of the spectre, he's standing surrounded by doves. They're flying around him. Some are pecking at the ground. He's looking up at the, the staircase in front of him, up to the Golden Gates, and the large voice continues. And because of your failure, you must relinquish the right to the use of your powers. And the next image is a close-up of the spectre, grimacing, doesn't look happy at all. The voice is saying, You have abused your powers by deeming yourself the personal judge of life and death. No single creature may hold this unto himself. Justice demands an accounting of the precise details. And the spectre seems to have been drawn up into the air, because we can see that he's moved away from the archway now. It's almost like he's turning a somersault in the sky. The radiance bursts from the the golden gates and the harp floats around him. So now at the top of page four, and the first image is of the spectre with the journal of judgment open before him, as if he's reading from it. Spectre says, Yes, I remember. Even as an accounting was demanded, the events that led to my failure flashed before me. And there's a slight rippling mist behind the spectre here as the next panel ripples also because we're in flashback mode as the spectre continues to narrate what happens. My alter ego, Jim Corrigan, was on a routine assignment as a detective captain in Gateway City. I listened in on his thoughts and they were not entirely on his job. So a very moody shot of Jim Corrigan and a police colleague creeping down a, a moody alleyway with long shadows being cast before them. And Jim is thinking... Our tipster told us Sharky would arrive at 11.30, and it's near midnight now. This is the right place for the transfer, though. I can't get speck out of my mind. Closer shot, Jim, in the next panel. Ever since that dream he had a few nights ago, and an asterisk refers to a caption box that says, See the previous issue of this magazine. Jim's thoughts continue. I've sensed a struggle going on within himself. A struggle I doubt even he is aware of. Spectre's narration for the next panel says, From hindsight... His words rang painfully true, but his thoughts were interrupted. And we see at the front of this panel a brightly lit doorway with two shady figures making their way in, long coats and hats. And we see the silhouettes of Jim Corrigan and his colleague behind. Jim whispers, There he is. We can close in as soon as they're inside, Sergeant. The next panel, with a full moon looming in the background, shows Jim and the Sergeant, Sergeant's pulling his gun from his trousers, running towards this large warehouse-type building that we can see. There's a number five on front of it. Corrigan says to his colleague, There's Sharky. The trap is being made. Okay, Sergeant, let's go. First panel of page five, we're inside the warehouse building, and we can see four guys sat around a table. There's a leather briefcase that one of them had been carrying on the previous page, laid on the table in front of them. One bad guy with a moustache is in the process of saying, This stuff is going to make us. Huh? And he's realised that Corrigan and a sergeant are running in. The sergeant cries, 
Don't anyone move, we're police officers. And a bald chap who brings out a gun sat at the table says, It's a bust. And another bad guy who's wearing a hat stands up and says, Gun him down, there's only two of them. Next panel with a walk, we see Corrigan punching at one of the bad guys saying, Drop it! No need for anyone to get hurt. And the bald bad guy's behind them and he's thinking, Can't let him get the stuff, gotta dump it. In the next panel, the baldy bad guy, who's now clutching the leather briefcase that we saw, stands up and fires on the sergeant, saying, You ain't taking me in. If I could send up once more, I'm in for good. There's a crack as the gun fires. Corrigan exclaims, Sergeant! And in the next panel, Corrigan says, Okay, creep, you had a choice. Now we play rough. And with a thud, says the bald bad guy, flying into the wall. He drops the case. And the bad guy with the hat, he moves forward, pulling his gun on Jim, thinking, If I could just take this one, I can get clear. He makes a grab for the leather briefcase in the next panel. But then, from a puddle on the ground, the spectre emerges, looming up before the bad guy. The spectre says, Scum of the earth, you would shoot an unarmed man in the back. The bad guy screams, Aye, the spectre! First panel of page six, the bad guy fires on the spectre, saying, The bullets, they, they don't affect him, no, get back! He fires his gun, there's a bam sound effect, he fires multiple times in panel two, bam, bam, bam. The spectre looms before him again, saying, there can be no mercy given to those of your kind. And then in the next panel, we see the spectre's eyes glowing. A burst of energy comes from them. The bad guy screams. Ah! And the spectre says, Even your very life is forfeit. In the background, Corrigan and the sergeant look on appalled. Corrigan says, No. Good Lord. No. First panel, page seven now. Full moon can be seen looming in the background through the window. The spectre's looming over the bad guy who's down on the ground. Corrigan and the sergeant are shocked. All Corrigan can do is say, Oh. Spectre narrates the next panel, saying, I turned, and the wounded policeman was the first to react. The sergeant looks up at the spectre and says, You, you had no right to do that. No right at all. In the next panel, the spectre isn't having it, but the wham! He slaps the sergeant, sending him flying backwards. The spectre says, And who are you to question... The spectre, human. The spectre shrinks back down to normal size in the next panel. Corrigan's harangium saying, What's gotten into you, spectre? Have you gone insane? All of a sudden you're playing God. And the spectre, <laughs> I have to say, very matter-of-factly, very casually here says, Come off it. It's not as bad as all that. Oh no? What would happen if every cop took it upon himself to be judge and jury? There'd be chaos. But Jim, it's my job. To kill is nobody's job. And you kill them! Corrigan looks furious. There's also a complete lack of a white streak in his hair, it must be said. Mm. We arrive then at the top of page eight. Spectre lunges forward, saying, Jim, ah, let me in. Let me enter your body. Jim's not having it. He says, forget it, kid. I'm with no part of a killer. And we're back in the next panel with the Spectre reading from the Book of Judgment. And he's saying, How sick my reactions seem to my present rational mind. What a difference that passage of time makes. But what a price to pay. Spectre's narration continues for the next panel. As my trial progressed, I watched as if a hidden child within me fought back. Spectre is grabbing at Jim's jacket, pleading with him, saying, Let me in! Let me in! The next panel is a slightly different perspective. We're up above Jim and the Spectre. It's almost like they're in a spotlight. Jim is not having the Spectre's pleas at all. He just firmly says, No! Spectre stills a hold of Jim at the bottom sequence and says, You're going to let me re-enter if I have to force my way in. Never, Spectre. My will can resist all of your powers. 
And it's almost like Jim slumps. We arrive at page nine. It's a very close shot of the Spectre right in front of Jim's face. As Jim says, Get out of my life, Spectre, and stay out. The Spectre lets him go. Jim falls back. Spectre's worried now because Jim's not moving. Spectre says, Jim, Jim, wake up. I didn't mean Jim. The Spectre looks very panicked as a tiny caption says, Continued in second page following. Very helpfully, the Spectre's narration here <laughs> tells us what's happening. As I stood over Jim's inert form, I felt a force, a power greater than mine, drawing me away. And the disembodied voice says, You have failed, Spectre. Your reckoning is at hand. And we see the Spectre sort of shrinking up into the air and flying off. And the next panel, rendered in the immaculate individual Jenny Grandinetti style, shows him arriving at the pearly gates with the archway and the sparkles and the doves. The disembodied voice says, Spectre, your irresponsibility ended the life of one man, wounded another, and sent your own host into unconsciousness. Yes, I admit to all of this. Justice demands that your mission to Earth be ended immediately. No, it cannot be. My powers are needed on Earth. I have done wrong, and it is agony to acknowledge the fact. But I must be allowed to return. So we're back to the spectre standing at the foot of the, the flight of stairs with the doves floating around. The disembodied voice is saying, Justice is nothing unless tempered by mercy. Every creature deserves the chance to right the wrongs within himself. You shall have that chance, Spectre. You shall be given a book. A book of life. If you handle the tasks assigned within this book, you shall be allowed to resume your normal previous standing. Page 10 is rounded out with a very moody shot of the Spectre listening to what's being ordained. So, first panel of page 11. The Spectre is holding the Journal of Judgment, and he's saying, I am now bound to investigate those named in the pages of this book. My responsibility will be awesome. Some shall live, and some shall die, and I must make the choice. My powers are to be limited. My existence shall be known only if I so choose. My task begins. It will be a hard task, but I shall pass the test, despite the agony. Panel 2 is a shot of the Spectre looking very sort of morose, as he contemplates everything that's going on. And we get a final sequence of three panels of the Spectre wandering back through the misty, scary moors that we saw at the start as the narration for the story says, Thus the Spectre begins his trial of endurance, a task that will require the greatest strength of will, yet demand responsible patience. You, reader, have seen these events transpire. Is it your name contained within the pages of the Journal of Judgment? Only the spectre knows. And a little caption at the bottom says, The, the end. end. And continues, And, and a, a long, long road, road after. So, a new status quo for the spectre. It's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. We're not really sure why they've done it, I suppose. I'm guessing that they must have had as many letters still haranguing and complaining about what, <laughs> <laughs> what they were being fed. So they've obviously thought, right, people aren't happy. Do we just try something else? Yeah. There's three stories in this issue. This first untitled story is written by Mike Friedrich. Mm -hmm. A welcome return to the comic for him. And it is Jerry Grandinetti. No sign of Murphy Anderson, though. This apparently is all Jerry Grandinetti. Yeah, you can kind of tell because the Spectre doesn't look very Murphy at all in the, no. in the way that he did quite often mm -hmm. when they were working together. Some of the faces look quite different as well. As you mentioned, uh, Jim doesn't have the white streak in the hair. 
But if you look at the last panel on page seven of Jim screaming at, at the spectre, it doesn't look like Jim at all. No. And it doesn't look like Jerry Grandinetti's artwork either. It looks like cross between a bit of Steve Ditko, a bit of Don Heck, a bit of Jack Kirby. You can see those sort of lines there. It looks quite different from what we've had from Jerry Grandinetti. Yeah, the whole shape of Jim's face and head is different. Mm-hmm. His face is thinner, longer. It's a different jawline. It's very unusual. Yeah. It's all very effective. I mean, it's oh yeah, it's a quick read at 11 pages. It doesn't feel like 11 pages worth of story at all. Mm-hmm. It's very unusual. Yeah. The interesting idea is basically the spectre for some reason that's really, really ratty and overdoes it and goes over the score. Yeah. We're not really told why he's behaving like this, which is kind of odd. Mm-hmm. And again, with the colloquialisms, it's, it's really weird. Like, let me in, let me in. Yeah. And, and what was it he said when he first came in? Come off it, it's not as bad as all that. Yeah. <laughs> that's not Spectre chats. No. <laughs> Maybe that is why he needs a bit of a shake-up, is he's just become a bit too modern, a bit too contemporary. He should be more ethereal and more ghost-like. Even just the way he says scum of the earth, it doesn't sound particularly... Yeah. Maybe he's just super annoyed at people not having the standards that mm-hmm. he and Jim are trying to uphold, and maybe this is just a kind of straw that broke the camel's back situation for him. Yeah. The shot on page six when he zaps the bad guys is pretty horrific. Oh, yes. As you can see on the sergeant's face, he's like, whoa, what? Yeah, it is very effective, though. I really do like Grandinetti on the Spectre. It's fantastic. Yes, I've got used to him now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting setup. It's almost like there's a new showrunner or a new producer or something, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and new head writer, and it's the right. So the format of the comic is going to be this. You're going to have this book, and you're going to look at all the people and judge them, and it's like, okay, is that what it's going to be? Yeah. Right, I'm, I'm just going to have to do it then, and the Spectre wanders off. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're, we're not talking about the whole comic all in one go. We're going to do each of the stories in turn. Yeah. And they use this format also in issue 10, which is the last one in the series. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether or not it was successful or not can be debated. Yes. It's quite interesting that literally the issue after the voice gives Spectre the whole plot convenient weakness situation whenever, uh-huh. he, you know, whenever he gets out of line. It doesn't come into effect here, and instead it's literally, again, called up for his written warning this time, as opposed to his verbal warning, which he had the first time. Yeah, I mean, I suppose killing someone is a bit more severe than just injuring a bystander because he wasn't paying attention. But, I mean, it definitely does feel like he needs this Mm -hmm. performance review to to sort of... (laughs) But he definitely does seem to to need a bit of guidance. But I suppose if he's Mm -hmm. been doing it for the decades that he has been doing it, then, you know, it's, it's probably fair. He's maybe got a bit... Off beam or a bit off mission. Mm. I wonder what this means for Jim Corrigan, though. Will we find out? Well, that's true. Mm. That's a point. Yeah. We should read on and see, I think. We probably should. You're right. So, the first story finishes at the end of page 11. And opposite that, we have a full text page, um, one of the fact files. Fact file number four, which is all about the vigilante. Yay. But we're not going to talk about that because we're going to be talking about the vigilante elsewhere comparatively soon. So we're back with another story, page one, as we continue here. The artwork is very, very different from Grandinetti. Pete, see who drew this story? This is the second ever published story by the legend that was Bernie Wrightson. Wow! He had a House of Mystery story before this, House of Mystery 179, but this is his second published work. That's huge. And it is fantastic. I had no idea this was only his second published work. And if that's not good enough, it's actually written by Denny O'Neill. And I think this is the first Denny O'Neill story <laughs> that we're actually doing in the podcast. Yeah, gosh. So there we are. Oh, it's obviously it's the first Bernie story. Wow. Mm-hmm. Double whammy. There you go, listeners. That's not bad, is it? I have to say, in, my, in the preparation, I was really struck by the artwork in this story because it's so different. I mean, we, it feels like something we say about almost every issue of the Spectre. Yeah, uh-huh. The artwork's so different mm-hmm. to what we had before. And maybe that's the trouble. 
maybe why I only made it to 10 issues because there was no consistency throughout. Maybe the chopping and changing of creative teams is what did for it. I'm going to reserve judgment till we get to the end of the story before I tell you what I thought. So, the opening panel in the top left-hand corner is a shot of the spectre with the Journal of Judgment open before him. And significantly, he's not wearing his gloves here either. No. I wonder if that's symptomatic of the situation, that he's not allowed to, to wear gloves when he handles the Journal of Judgment. <laughs> You'd think it would be the other way around. But anyway, the spectre has the book open before him and he is saying, The book commands me to pass judgment on this man, Frederick Foust. Yet what am I to judge? Foust does not appear to be a villain. Indeed, he's but a wandering performer, a stage magician. And the regular narration picks up, saying, Watch closely. Notice that there is nothing up the performer's sleeve. Yet weird and wild wonders are wrought with the macabre and magical Abracadoom. Abracadoom. Very interesting. So we're not really too sure where and when we are when the story starts. But what we have is a crowd watching two men up on a stage. One man dressed in purple, purple top hat, stripy trousers, blue bow tie, and his very neat goatee beard and moustache style going on. Mm -hmm. There's another man tending towards overweight, with a strained white shirt, black waistcoat, brown trousers, held up by braces. And on a little table in front of them, there's a small bird under a little cage and a cover. And... The chap with the goatee beard and the top hat is addressing the crowd, and he's saying, Behold, ladies and gentlemen, the wizardry of the fantastic Foust, assisted by my colleague here. I shall cause the birdly to vanish. And indeed his colleague whispers, This trick better be good, because the last four was lousy. Shut up, comes the whispered reply. The next panel is a shot of Foust looking at the covered cage, and he's saying, I speak the mystic syllables. Wokigan, Kalamazoo, and Presto. Doesn't go too well. There's a scree from the bird, and it flies out of its cage. The cover falls away. Foost's assistant cries, Gah! Very surprised, and a very sheepish-looking Foost looks to the crowd and says, <laughs> I bet you knew it was there all the time, didn't you, folks? Oh, dear. The crowd aren't happy. The first panel shows a chap. Looks like he's wearing a deer stalker, waving his hands at Foost and his pal who are legging it. This guy's saying, Crummy faker! And someone else says, Go on, get out of here, you phony! The next panel is of Foost and his pal running away. Foost's mate is saying, The robe's got you pegged, Freddy. You're a crummy faker, like they said. I'm not. I'm an artist. And then Foost punches his pal in the next panel and says, It's your fault the act got blown. If you'd oiled the disappearing machine like I told you. It's full-on fisticuffs in the next panel. Foost on the ground with his mate above him getting stuck in, saying, Don't blame your dumbness on me! How dare you strike an artist! I'll make you regret the day you were but... Huh? Willie? Where are you going, Willie? And there's a hint of a sort of blue mist appearing around Foust at this point. In the next panel, it's a completely different situation. We're no longer in the outskirts of that small town. We're in one of our very familiar now astral plane-type cosmic situations with a weird space background and lots and lots of planets and spheres floating around. Foust is standing there, looking astonished, and he stutters, What kind of bit is this? What happened to the world? And we see behind him, standing upon a green sphere, is a pink-skinned figure wearing a red unitard and a red cape with a high collar. It looks very shady. And this guy says, Do not be frightened, Frederick. I won't let you fall. 
I like you. Fust stammers in the next panel. Who are... And the scary guy with the cape says, What's in a name? Some call me Beelzebub. To others, I am Mr. Scratch. The devil, you say? Exactly. Confirms the guy in the cable. This is very scary. I can think already I can see where the story's going. First panel of page three, you've got a much closer shot of this scary, devilish figure. He reminds me very much almost of Mephisto from Marvel Comics mm, yes. <laughs> in this panel. Uh-huh. We can see that Faust is floating around on one of the green spheres. And we can see the devil, if that's who he is, is holding a piece of paper out towards Faust. The devil is saying, About your problem. It so happens that I can grant your fondest, deepest, dearest wish. I can make you a real magician. And we can see in a piece of paper that it says signed and there's an actual dotted line. Mm. The devil continues. Sign this contract and I shall give you a talisman, the abracadoom, an object of the blackest occult. First looks as though he's considering the offer in the next panel and he says, Yeah, but what'll it cost me, my soul? That is the usual price, yes. Before you decide, let us take a sea trip. Suddenly, they seem to be elsewhere. We see Fust colliding with a very shiny floor underneath him, and he says, How did we get here? The devil says, A smidgen of dark power hurled us across the seven astral planes. Now, about our deal... But then looming in the background, it's not a full moon, we see the head of the spectre, who yells, No! In the next panel, Fust is on his feet and he says, Who is he, friend of yours? And the devil is gesturing towards the spectre, conjuring up some yellow ectoplasm, and he says, On the contrary, my immortal enemy, away, spectre! The spectre turns his back on them. He's got his gloves on by this point, unlike the opening panel. The spectre says, Hold your bolts of ectoplasmic energy! I come not to combat, but to warn. Some nice clouds over a nice blue sky in the final panel of page three. Spectre with his hands on his hips is facing the other two and he's saying, Sign that parchment, Foust, and you consign yourself to an eternity of unimaginable torment. The devil says, Ah, but in addition to the abracadoom, I also offer Freddy immortality. Obviously, as long as he lives, I can never collect my, uh, my payments. First, looks like he's fiddling with his bow tie here. Very sheepishly, he says, uh, What's the catch? Uh, stop calling me Freddy. And the first panel of page four is a shot of the devilly figure looking very, very scary. And he says, No catch, as you charmingly put it. You will be immortal, provided the abracadoom never gets within six feet of an identical talisman. The death. I have given that trinket to another conjurer. Frederick need only avoid members of his trade. The next panel shows the devil figure leaning forward to allow Freddy to lean on his back and sign the contract. Freddy says, It's chancy, but I'm game. Do I sign him blood? No, I abandoned that quaint custom centuries ago. A felt-tip pen will do nicely. Is that the first appearance of a felt-tip pen in the podcast? I think it is, yes. Interesting. How modern. The spectre is not impressed at first here, and he says, 
Fool, don't you know Scratch is the prince of deceivers? Freddy says in the next panel. I don't care. I'm sick of being a nobody, so fade, spook. The devil gestures and snaps his fingers and says, As the gentleman said, fade. And, sure enough, the spectre fades out at the front of the panel. The next panel shows the spectre in mid-air, looking down at a ship that's sailing across the sea down below him. The spectre is saying, He's made a fearful decision. Still, I feel this foost is not genuinely evil. I shall wait before judging. Wait and hope. We see a couple of voices coming from the, the deck of the boat. First is saying, Okay, you got my signature. Now, where's the abracadoom? Stretch forth your palm. There. In the next panel shows Freddy Foose looking delighted as he holds a very fancy ornate. It's like a weird Fabergé egg on a, a tuning fork. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Almost. Is that a really bad way of describing it? <laughs> so that's your abracadoom. Freddy looks delighted. In the background, Mr. Scratch is fading out in a puff of smoke, saying, Farewell. And an excited Freddy beholds his new toy and says, I I got it. Jeez, I'm so excited I can hardly think. What'll I wish for? I know. Abracadoom, take me back to Carlsberg. And then there's a swirl of green smoke and a very amusing caption that says, Poof! And Freddy delightedly cries, It works! Yippee! It works! So we arrive now at the top of page five. Some time has passed. Very interesting that we can see in this panel. There's a figure up on stage in a theatre, taking a bow, wearing a long cape, and there's a green hooded figure, green caped figure, sitting in the back of the audience watching him. And as he sits there, the spectre is thinking, Foost does well. In only three months he has become a successful performer. Thus far he remains uncorrupted. I pray he continues so. And the caption for panel two says, At last it appears the spectre's unspoken wish is not to be, for a week later he is summoned to a command performance before the royal family of Marlovia. And what we see here is almost a spotlight shining on Foust and a couple of other people, one of whom is sat in a chair in front of him with his arms folded, looking as if he's very determined not to be entertained. Foust is gesturing widely with his arms spread, and he's thinking... This is my chance, my chance for true greatness. And he says, And now, your majesties, my most spectacular feat, I shall cause you both to vanish. Yes, and there's a burst of pink energy from the abracadum that strikes the two people in front of them, presumably some of the royal family, we're not introduced to them. And it's weird, it's very horrific the way that they almost seem to dissolve. It's like they dissolve into black dots. It's almost like they've been disintegrated. Mm. Freddy says, Abracadoom, rid me of these louts. And off they go. This is, at time of recording, we've just released our Jimmy Olsen episode. (laughs) Stylistically, they could not be further apart. True. Could they? Very true. The friendly, archy light styles contrasted with the, frankly, all-out scary horror of Bernie Wrightson. (laughs) This is terrifying. There's a slow dissolve then. And we see a figure adjusting himself in front of a, a fancy mirror. And this figure is thinking... A change of appearance, a new name, and behold, Foust becomes Count Lagos. And as sovereign ruler of Marlovia, I can avoid other magicians and the Abraca death. I still can't go over panel three here. That's definitely going on the socials. <laughs> the next panel might go on as well. It's a shot of the spectre reading presumably some kind of European newspaper. The headline of the paper says... Marlovia prospering. New ruler brings wealth to small, and it's cut off, so it probably says country. 
So the Spectre has been down to the newsstand to buy a newspaper. <laughs> Hope he had the correct change. <laughs> so as he's reading the newspaper, he says, The old Marlovian rulers were tyrants. So although Foust attained his position with black magic, he is using his power for good. I must withhold my judgment a while longer. So, top of page six now. It's a nice shot of a castle. And a caption says, Months pass. Months of quiet prosperity for Marlovia and Count Lagos, ni Frederick Foust. And then, at the National Palace... And we're inside. And we see Frederick, who we should probably say now, in his new stylings, he's got rid of the beard, he's dyed his hair white, and it's all combed backwards. He's wearing a very neatly fitted blue jacket. And across the table, there's a young assistant aide-type figure dressed in purple. And this figure says, Your Majesty! Our borders are being attacked. An army has just crossed. Count Lagos, a.k.a. Freddy, replies, Say no more. I'll attend to the matter. Caption them for the next panel. Swift as thought itself, the Abracadoom flies Foust to the scene of strife. Yes, with a cape billowing around him, we see Foust up high in the sky, looking down at the ground, where we can see tanks and military tents and lots of soldiers roaming around. As he flies, Freddy, the Count, is thinking, Troops, thousands of them. I was aware the neighbouring kingdom was envious of Marlovia's well-being, but I didn't think they'd dare attack. Panel 4, then, of page 6 shows Freddy Foust, a.k.a. Count Lagos, alighting, landing on the ground, quite close to a couple of tanks, and he's thinking. They're well armed with the most modern weapons. However, I have magic. And in a shot that looks very much like the late actor Peter Cushing, mm-hmm. we see him clutching the abracadum, and he's thinking. I could wish fire and brimstone upon them if I wanted, but I'm not a cruel ruler. Instead. I'll merely halt them. And this next panel is definitely going in the socials. Very, very effective. We get a wide shot of the army of the tanks and a couple of soldiers. And Freddy standing in a little rocky outcrop, gesturing widely once again and crying, Let the enemy metal rust away! And that's what we see. We see basically the equipment start to dissolve almost into mud. It's grotesque. And looming over this, is a very grotesquely rendered, very scary-looking spectre. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's ever looked as scary as this in no. any of the stories that we've done, has he? No. By this point, we've done you know his appearances in Showcase and the JLA, and this is the ninth issue of his regular series. He looks absolutely terrifying. And this looming spectre head is saying, Is this an evil act? Foust is using black magic, but using it merely to defend his nation. My judgment must still wait. Let us follow Foust back to the palace. We can also see the detail here, if we look a bit closely, one of the soldiers reacting to his gun dissolving in his hands and mm-hmm. one of his colleagues looking appalled as well. It's almost like the guy's helmet is melting. It's very scary. Yeah, it's horrible. So panel two of page seven, Freddy's back in his den, smoking a cigar, looking very happy and thinking, Once more, my little kingdom is safe. And then there's a buzzed from the telephone in front of him and Freddy thinks, The hotline. The telephone used only for the most important state matters. He answers, and a voice says, King Foost? Freddy thinks, Something oddly familiar about that voice. And then he answers, saying, Yes, I'm the majestic Foost. The next panel shows the other chap on the line. We only see him from behind, obviously in another big fancy ornate chamber, and he's saying into the phone, I'm the Prime Minister of the nation which borders yours. I'd like to meet with you. First panel of page eight is another scary shot of the spectre. <laughs> I want my mum. <laughs> and he's thinking, Foust has arranged the meeting. The results of that meeting could either greatly help or harm the world. What are his thoughts? I shall listen. 
And it's another Peter Cushing-like figure standing in his blue military tunic, and he's thinking... With the backing of the Prime Minister's nation, Marlovia could become supreme. Between us, we could topple other leaders. I need to exercise absolute control over the Prime Minister, and, with the Abracadoom, I can. I can make him my puppet. I can rule all. Panel 3 shows Freddy about to obviously give an instruction to his aides in front of him. The aide says, Your Majesty, the Prime Minister waits in a conference room, but the spectre appears suddenly in a cloud and says, I warn you, do not go. You again. Out of my way. Your magic could be a force for good. Instead, you are choosing to use it only to gain power. Power which will deprive others of their freedom. Power which will corrupt. That's right. That's exactly right. I want power. And the final panel of page 8 shows the spectre gesturing towards an open doorway. And he says to Freddy, a.k.a. the Count, Then it is my judgment that you will be allowed to pass. First panel of page 9, we see the Count, a.k.a. Freddy, approaching the Prime Minister. We can see the Abracadum behind his back. But Freddy's surprised because he recognises this guy. He says, What? Willard? My ex-assistant? You're the Prime Minister? And we see indeed that's who it is. Looking very smart. Looks as if he's maybe lost a bit of weight. He replies, Yeah, Freddy, me. Surprised? Before we talk over business, I got something to show you. Panel two. We see that Freddy has revealed the Abracadum, but also that Willie, he's revealed the Abracadeth. Freddy looks appalled and says, Scratch, he gave you the other one. That double-crossing devil. We gotta separate. But then the final panel. We see the two of them being caught up. And almost a wave, a column almost of rushing green, it looks like water, energy, I don't know. But also, significantly, Mr Scratch, the devil, whoever he is, Beelzebub, has reappeared, standing with his arms folded, and he says, Too late, gentlemen. Welcome to eternity. The end. Crikey. Bernie Wrightson, my goodness. Bad dreams, ahoy. This is fantastic stuff. It's obviously not as accomplished as his later work, but you can absolutely see all of his style in here. It's phenomenal. It's a great, great story. I'm not going to echo your words quite so much. I mean, you can definitely tell it's him, especially Mm. on page two. Like, you know, it's obvious. Mm -hmm. This just reads to me just like a disposable horror comic story. The sort of thing that you get as a space filler in yeah. House of Mystery and House yeah. of Secrets in the late 60s and 70s. We have a plan, listeners, to cover such things. Don't worry about it. That'll happen very soon. Again, it's shockingly different to what we've had before. Yeah. You know, the spectre looming around and being slightly involved and no mention of Corrigan, obviously. Yep. If, you know, we've had other stories before when people have made deals and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It read to me just like a very traditional sort of cautionary tale about not giving your soul to the devil because you know that he's <laughs> going to trick you and beat you, you know? Yeah, which is fun. We've not really had that. It's usually in the spectre, which is, so it's good. That's true, but it's, I mean, it's maybe just my own sort of reading. It just, it just mm. felt a bit, I mean, it reminded me in a way of, you know, you'd get occasional issues of Neil Gaiman's Sandman when they would mm. break away from the main narrative and yeah. they'd have little narrated vignettes about other things. Uh-huh. It reminded me of that sort of thing, sure. which again, probably at the time felt like a filler. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. at least when James Robinson was doing filler issues in Starman, he called them times past and they, and they yeah. probably added to the story yeah. and, mm-hmm. and used relevant characters. It felt like a standard horror filler that, I mean, the Spectre might as well not have been there, I think. All he really needed was someone else with it to be his voice of conscience almost, but it's mm-hmm. it's worthy enough because, as we've said, the artwork is astonishing. Like yeah. The panel of them, the royal folk from Malovia being dissolved is 
horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The spectre looming over the dissolving army is horrible. I mean, this is this is next level. This is way beyond Murphy Anderson and his scary demons with horns, you know. Yeah, and smashing planets over everyone's head. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're into the Bronze Age now, aren't we? There's no yeah. doubt about it. <laughs> I love the spectre just, you know, chilling at the back of the stalls in the theatre. That was hilarious. Yes. Also, three months had passed. Has he been following him for three months? That's very interesting. Yeah. And then even more months pass. Has he been with him all that mm-hmm. time? Hmm. Yeah. Or has he been checking in on some other people who are in the Book of Judgment or the Journal of Judgment, whatever it's called, Could whilst be. all this was going on? It's weird because before our eyes, the comic is shifting from supernaturally flavoured superheroics yeah. to a scary horror anthology. Yes. That's quite interesting to experience. It's quite unnerving. It's quite unsettling. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It is weird. Maybe it should be called Weird Spectre Tales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Spectre always has a little run in adventure comics in the early 70s when it's renamed Weird Adventure Comics. It's yeah. not too far off. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I am looking forward to those stories. Oh, yes. Yeah, this is very interesting. It's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a story, I think it's it just reads like a cautionary tale. Yeah, huh? But it's very interesting. I'm genuinely stunned by some of that artwork. I can't emphasize this enough, listeners. Get yourself a copy of issue nine of the Spectre. Yeah. Somehow. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated. I didn't realise I owned a copy of Bernie Wright's second ever published story. There you go. Fascinating. <laughs> One thing I absolutely loved about Mr. Scratch or the Devil or Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him, is he basically looks like he's wearing a supervillain costume properly. Yes. I mean he's got pixie boots, he's got trunks, bare legs, he's got the body tunic and he's got the red cape with the pop up collar. It's mm. very, very supervillainy looking as opposed to actual devil demon. Yeah, he looks very much like the guy who looked very much like Votan. Do you remember? Yes, and I uh-huh. think one of the showcase issues, That's I can't correct, remember his yeah. name now, but I remember we remarked him that he looked as if he was Wotan, just coloured in with the wrong felt tips. Yep. Which means this is probably the second mention of felt tips in the podcast this episode. Oh, actually, yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> was that deliberate, trying to say Wotan was the devil? I don't know. I think that look kind of uh, gives you the impression of a similar type. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of these characters that have similar power sets and built similar roles have that sort of look. So yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. There have been a few other characters that Spectre's fought that have obviously, it's been kind of implied. Mm-hmm. Was it Satanus or whatever he was called that had everyone chanting in front of him in one of the, the showcase issues ages ago? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Apologies, listeners, for not having the complete recall of all these <laughs> stories that we've done. Apologies. But it's interesting that they actually named him as the devil and as Beelzebub mm-hmm. because yeah. I don't think the actual devil has popped up in a single story that we've done yet. No, there was one that was very much the devil by any other name and I think it was one of the showcases. Mm-hmm. Shathan was it Shathan I think yeah I think I think that's who I was going to be yeah, thinking uh-huh. of yeah. but yeah that was that was the closest we got to it really very interesting so we're going to do the third story now again very different and it's the shortest of them so we'll see how we got on with this this is a very interesting story it's written by Mark Hannerfield, who is an assistant editor. He didn't actually do much writing for DC only right. so if you did a handful of stories but this is one of them and it's really interesting and Jack Sparling did the art for this. So yeah, three different writers, three different artists on this book. So, story is called Shadow Show. In the first panel, we see a very young man looking very contemporary with his long hair and his leather jacket, hiding in a doorway on top of a small flight of stairs. We can see police lights flashing in the background, a couple of police cars, a few policemen roaming about. And the narration, very familiar, chatty, friendly narration says, Hey, they almost got you that time, Hickey. You're going to have to play it tighter from here on, kiddo. 
The heat's rising to your style, and this whole bit stinks like a setup. The next panel shows Hickey carefully jumping over this marble banister effect. We can see the shadow of branches and trees playing over the wall behind them. Very effective. They've really got their hooks out for you this time, Hickey. You must really be hitting the big time if they're out laying for you like that. But they'll never tag a wise old robber man like you, baby. Not so long as you've got the shadows working for you. And Hickey drops down into the shadows underneath the building. The camera, as it were, zooms in over him over these three panels as the narration says, Yeah, shadows are your best friend, Hickey. They take real good care of you. Always been there when you need it to fade fast, and always will be. But there's something different about these shadows, Hickey. Don't you feel it? Like something's grabbing at you? First panel, page two. It's a close-up of Hickey. Looking around, the narration says, Almost sends a chill up and down your spine, doesn't it? Weird. But you'd better cut out now. Real weird. And panel two shows Hickey slinking away with his head down, his collar up. You can see the police activity in the background. The next panel shows him walking along the street, very moody, shadows being cast everywhere. A dog looks at him as he walks past. The caption says, just stick to them lovely shadows, kids, and you can't go wrong. Panel four. It's a very arty shot up in the air, looking down at Hickey. Again, he's casting a long shadow himself. A tree's casting a long shadow. It looks like so he's looking back over his shoulder. Don't look back, Hickey. It's only your imagination. Nothing's following you. Hickey continues walking along. We see him through a shadowy stairwell. Weird. Dark. And deadly. Hey, cut it out, kiddo. Relax. Don't panic. Hickey looks very panicked. It's almost like he's caught up and tangled in something. A tree, Hickey. Only the shadow of a tree. Shadow, Hickey. Don't panic, kid. Don't. First panel of page three. Hickey has panicked. He's running. We see a little dog recoiling as he sprints past. There's also a dustbin there, we should mention. Take a drink, listeners. <laughs> the caption says, Run, Hickey. Run for all you're worth. It's those blasted shadows. Get away from the blasted shadows. This is, again, very, very nice artwork. Very, very interesting. It's a shot from street level, pavement level almost, of Hickey sprinting away. We can see other pedestrians. We can see the bright lights of the city. We use a little trail of dust as he runs along. In the next panel, we see him in the thick of the city. It's almost like a, a Times Square or a Piccadilly Circus type situation. We can see some dodgy looking geezers chewing on cigarettes and with big hats looking at him in the background. Hickey looks a little panicked. The caption says, Light, Hickey. Stay in the light. The next panel shows him recoiling from a shadow that's been cast by a sort of fire escape above him. We can see <laughs> the shadows of a couple of mops casting a very odd shape. Hickey's balanced on one foot. He's so scared. The narration says, Here too. It's here too. Home, Hickey. Get home. In the next panel, see Hickey inside a building, running up a flight of stairs. Almost there. Almost. There's a large shadow looming on the wall behind them. It's a very familiar looking silhouette, actually. You can see the cracks in the plaster. Very run-down building, obviously. We arrive at the top of page four. Hickey makes it inside his apartment, slams the door behind him. The caption says, The light! Turn on the light! Hickey looks always shaking. He looks down at a shadow on the ground. The narration says, You? We get close up. A green light over Hickey's face. He looks very scared. Maid? Hickey looking down at the ground, looking at the shadow that's being cast by the bare light bulb above him. And rather horribly, four green tendril-like fingers are looming up from the shadow and grabbing a hold of him. 
the narration over the final two panels of page four says, Oops. Final panel of page four shows that Hickey's been caught in a large green gloved hand. And it's almost like the thumb is grabbing hold of his head. First panel of page five, Hickey is being lifted up into the air, upside down. Panel two, the green gloved hand unfurls to show Hickey sitting in his palm. And a familiar voice says, What's the matter, Hickey? Haven't you heard of the long arm of the law? And we see that the spectre holds Hickey in his hand. The end. There we go. Well, hopefully that translated well enough. <laughs> that was an interesting way to tell a story. I really enjoyed that. It's quite a refreshing change of pace. Yes. Yeah. It's completely different to anything we've done already. Yeah. You could read it in a fraction of the time that we told it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that this guy, Hickey, was one of the people in the book and he's done something bad and the spectre has gone after him. I think that's basically it, isn't it? Looks like it. We didn't really get anything else to tell us otherwise. <laughs> yes. And the spectre gave us a punchline at the end. Yes. How unspectre like <laughs> Well, you know, forget about it, is the way the spectre talks nowadays. <laughs> Maybe it's a new camp style spectre. <laughs> Maybe he's been watching some of those old movies that Reverse Flash was watching in our previous episode. That's true, that's possible. <laughs> it's obviously the most disposable story in the comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels very much like a filler, but also it's very moody, atmospheric, and just, it's, yes. as I said, it's something different than what we've had before. Our next episode, spoilers, we're doing a Superman story, which is quite a quite a dark Superman story for a Superman story, but it's a, mm-hmm. it still has that air of the throwaway that so much of the Superman family stories of this era has, and mm-hmm. what we've just read is just like, the contrast is astonishing. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, again, compare it to that Jimmy Olsen one we read a few weeks ago that was published around about the same time. Yes, so funny. It's fascinating to think these are, that these are actually being published by the same company. Yep. This is like something from Skywald or something, you know? It's like, <laughs> you know, you'd expect to see an issue of Creepy or Eerie or something. Yeah, it doesn't feel yeah. like a, a DC comic story at all. It's fascinating. Well, maybe that's exactly what they're going for. Well, yeah, I mean, if the Spectre had been like this from the start... Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, as much as we we like the Gardner Fox and Murphy Anderson ones, they were all yeah. quite of a muchness and very mm-hmm. bright and clinical. Mm-hmm. But this feels this feels like something else. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. I just find it bizarre that literally one issue, I said it at the beginning, one issue after the new setup with the Spectre getting a weakness, if he's getting out of line to try and get him back in check, then they entirely revamp it and change it entirely the very next issue. It's It's just so weird. Yeah, it is Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, like I was saying a few weeks ago. Yep. You know what it's Maybe I'll post a, a Spitfire and the Troubleshooters gallery on the socials listeners. I probably won't. I can guarantee that no one has ever done that, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should. I'll have a look and see what I've got. I mean, I'm fascinated just that the Spectre seems to have been given quite a level of agency. Mm-hmm. And his new job as guy that looks after the books, you know. Yeah. He does seem to have some kind of, despite his protestation, some kind of power over yeah. life and death. Because, you know, Mr. Scratch got those two the two guys from the second story. Mm-hmm. What is the Spectre going to do to Hickey now that he's caught him? Is he just going to pass him over to Jim Corrigan, maybe? Possibly. Could Jim have been one of those policemen that we saw rushing about in the background? If we had seen Jim Corrigan there, I think that would have been amazing. That would have been really good and given it a yeah. nice kind of balance because as, as I said you know mm-hmm. we don't know what's happening with Jim now yeah be interesting to see how if Jim crops up at all in issue 10 mm-hmm. when we do that one we'll get to issue 10 obviously in a few weeks mm-hmm. as we are actually very early on in our preparation I was going to say to Pete yeah we should just do 9 and 10 in one episode we can just do summaries and it'll be it'll be dead easy but I'm glad we decided just to do them fully because yeah. there, has, there has been quite a lot to talk about definitely there's no contemporary reader reaction because obviously the book was cancelled with issue 10 mm-hmm 
there's no time for any letters to, to be written in and published, which is a shame because I really would have liked to have seen what people had to say about this. Yeah, exactly, uh-huh. Given how vocal and violently vocal they were about a lot of the, the earlier issues. Yeah, definitely. That would have been really interesting to see exactly what people thought. But alas, not to be. They were so against the modern stylings of Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really got the sense that they just wanted everything to stay as it was. Can you imagine what they think when they saw that Bernie Wrightson story? <laughs> you know, as I said, the contra- even within the issue, the, uh-huh. the, the contrast in the art styles is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they were having difficulty actually getting a full creative team on it and they thought, actually, let's just try and get people to do short fill-in stories and we'll come up with a framing sequence or a hook for it, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to preempt too much the stuff that we're going to talk about when we do our House of Mystery episode in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just sort of thought, we're doing this stuff with House of Mystery and House of Secrets, maybe we should just do it with the Spectre as well. Yep. You know, maybe they had a genuine thought of, oh, well, we're going this way with these styles of books, shall we just try it with this? Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. I can imagine if the book hadn't been cancelled that they maybe would have done this for another two or three issues tops. Yeah. And then the, vo- the voice of God would have said, okay, Spectre, that's fine. Go mm. and help Jim Corrigan with this kidnapped yeah. child case or something. And, and it would have gone back into, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it, it's fascinating just how many twists and turns of, of creative stylings there's been yeah. in just such a short period of time. Completely unlike anything else that we've done. Indeed, yeah. I'm just thinking, poor Dr. Fate, he must be really busy picking up all the slack for the fact that the Spectre's <laughs> no longer dealing with these mega-cosmic threats. <laughs> yeah, I hope he is. <laughs> it would be nice to, to see some of them. Yeah, if only. I think it's a massive missed opportunity that Dr. Fate didn't pop up in this series. I think we've, yeah. we've said it already, yeah. but you know, uh-huh. I can imagine you know almost maybe Dr. Fate being called as a character witness or something, but some of these stories are just, especially that second one, you mm-hmm. can imagine Dr. Fate just sort of looming in, yeah. in the background and mm-hmm. acting as an, as the arbiter of what's going on. It's very interesting to, to, to speculate about such things. I mean, we will see Dr. Fate again before too long. I think he's front and foremost in the next JLA-JSA crossover, so he'll be along before too long as well. If this was a 60s Marvel comic, then you would have the Spectre flying after one of his bad guys, and you'd have Doctor Fate flying after one of his bad guys, and they'd wave at each other in the sky <laughs> as they go past. Yes. <laughs> no, you're right. And it all happened in New York. So. Yeah. And someone would say, sheesh. <laughs> one thing I'll say after this is I'm very much looking forward to doing issue 10. Yes. Uh-huh. It is an interesting setup. We have, I think it's probably fair to say that we've found some aspects of doing the Spectre a bit of a chore yeah. because of the sameness of some of the routines. But once mm-hmm. Grandinetti arrived, that kind of changed slightly. Yeah. I'm very interested to see what happens in, in the 10th and final issue. Indeed. The weird thing is, the Spectre is the JSAR we've talked about the most throughout the entire podcast so far. Pretty much, yeah. As you say, he's the only one that got his own book. More so than, you know, Jay Garrick or anyone, you know, this Spectre is the one we've mm. talked about most. And he's been the most changed as well. Yeah, I think for the next one, I'll try and get, I'll try and do a tally of Jay Garrick and Alan Scott and Spectre appearances mm. and just sort of see who turns up the most. It's very interesting because so much emphasis is put on, on Jay Garrick being the guy in the Silver Age and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, you know, mm-hmm. Spectre's had a huge amount of exposure as well. Yeah. But that's our thoughts on it. What are your thoughts? You can get in touch with us by emailing us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we're putting up some bonus material, including some of these amazing Bernie Wrightson panels. Yep. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. If you're feeling generous, you go to our coffee page and buy the price of a beverage, or you could go to wherever it is you get your podcast from and give us a positive review or perhaps retweet or share any of our social posts. That would be appreciated also. Indeed. And on that bombshell... 
I've been Peter. I've been David. We'll see you soon on the Earth Two Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. Farewell.